Production. Recorded live. All right. So, as I was saying, it's, it's uh, really good to have everybody dialing in and joining tonight. Uh, I know this time of night, sometimes it's a sacrifice. You got to get up early in the morning or you got to spend time with your family, whatever. But um, this is important work. Um, we are constantly tearing down walls, trying to join together, unite together. Um, to turn this nation around, to turn our families around, to turn our, our local cities and, and our populations around for God. And um, unfortunately, there's a big movement out there that claims the name of Jesus, but spiritually speaking, they uh, they don't they don't back it up with the word. So what we're all trying to do here is just gird ourselves with the word of God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the whole armor of God that we can withstand the wiles of the devil, the enemies, as a, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So this is important. So I appreciate everybody's time and sacrifice. Um, and uh, Brother Rod, I appreciate you uh, setting all this up. And again, coming up on uh, that anniversary uh, tomorrow, I believe you said, that's a, that's a big thing. So uh, thank God for that. Give him the glory. So Brother Rod set up this... Um, this season with the theme of talking about God's glory and uh, led us with a powerful message last time. And then um, we had a, a night of prayer. And then tonight um, I want to talk on a subject or a title of this would be everything is not about you. Um, unfortunately, I've had to, been, had to have been told that in my life, Paul, everything is not about you. Because so many times we can get so caught up with ourselves and what we think and what we feel and what we need to get out of a certain situation that we get all tangled up in us and realize it's not even about us. We're so insignificant when it comes to the grand scheme of things. Brother Rob was talking about the big picture a little little bit ago about uh, Houston, the cleansing and the washing. And God, who knows the reasoning for why God allowed all this to happen. But uh, either way, he is awesome in his power and his wisdom, and he gets all the glory for everything. Um, <clears throat> so I, I want to start out by defining the word glory. I know uh, Brother Rod gave us uh, some backing on that uh, last time, but I just looked up the word glory, and uh, the first definition says high renown or honor won by notable achievements. So just right there, the esteem that we hold God in is not unfounded. It's not unwarranted. The reason that we give God glory, that he is the father of glory, the king of glory, is because of all of the things that he has done that are notable, not only notable, but provable. And so it's not like, you know, just some stranger coming up saying, hey, you you should respect me. You should give me glory. You haven't done anything to deserve glory or respect at this point. But God has done so much. So, again, as as creation, we have to understand that we can't get higher than the creator. Um, again, you can find in the word uh, the account of Satan or Lucifer being cast out of heaven. It was all because he wanted God's glory, but he couldn't have it. <clears throat> so... Um, with that being said, that first definition, high renown or honor won by notable achievements. Number mm-hmm. two, the second definition, magnificence or great beauty. 
And if glory is taken as a verb, it means to take great pride or pleasure in. I don't know about y'all, but I take great pride and pleasure in my God. Um, there's no God like him. There's no God beside him. Uh, he, the, the Bible says that in the very first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, period. Um, when, when Jesus gave the two most important commandments, he said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, strength. And the second one is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But first, we have to love God and put him first, no matter what. So that's a little bit about glory defined. And what we have to understand, the takeaway from this tonight needs to be that glory is God's, period. Absolutely every bit of it. We can't have any of it. Um, So I'd like to direct you to Isaiah 42 um, for our first scripture. And the point I want to make here is that God will not share his glory. Um, Isaiah 42, starting with verse 5. Uh, this, is, this is really important for us to know. And I know, uh, you know some, some people don't believe we go by the Old Testament, but the Old Testament lays the groundwork and the foundation for the New Testament and shows us and gives us a picture of what we were redeemed from, saved from with all the laws and everything else. But there are so many principles and concepts that are in the Old Testament that still hold true and prove God's character to us. So again, Isaiah 42, starting with verse 5. It says, Thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. I want to stop right there because, again, the first definition of glory, high renown or honor, won by notable achievements. So Isaiah right here takes down the message from God, and God is basically putting his resume in verse 5. He created the heavens and stretched them out. He spread forth the earth and everything that comes out of it. He gives breath to the people on the earth and the spirit to them that walk therein. Those are pretty notable achievements. Verse 6 says, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. Verse 7, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Verse 10 says, Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise from the end of the earth. Ye that go down to the sea, and all that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof, let the wilderness and the cities thereof lift up their voice. The villages that Kadar doth inhabit, let the inhabitants of the rock sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory unto the Lord and declare his praise in the islands. The Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yea, roar. He shall prevail against his enemies. So right there, again, it, it talks about who God is, what he has done, what he is going to do, 
what his character is, what his intentions are. Amen. But he also makes sure to let us know this the glory that comes from this is my glory. It's not your glory. You have no I, I love in Job I, I can't recall the exact uh chapter right now. But after Job questioned God because his three friends were just giving it to him day in and day out about who what did you do? What what did you send? Or who sinned around you, you know, to cause all this calamity, all everything you had, the richest man in the East, everything you had was taken in one day. What did you do to deserve it? And so he turns and questions God, and God puts up with it as long as he chooses to do so. And then he tells Job, now you will stand and I will require an answer from you. Amen. And he starts questioning Job, where were you when I hung the stars? Where were you when I put the sun in its place? The earth that stands on nothing, that sits on nothing. What part of that did you have in it? And so God, again, just is establishing his glory. There's importance in that because we always have to understand that the earth was created. We were created in God's image, but to be separate from God, Mm-hmm. Be, meaning in our own realm, in our own um, space. But we are never independent of God. We always need God. There's nothing that we can do without the power of God. There is nothing that we can do or say um, or or see come to pass without God himself allowing it to happen. The amazing thing is that in the creation story, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, the Bible talks about the, the work that was done in the six days of creation. The first three days were preparation. The last three days were decoration. You see, God had to prepare everything because the Bible says in the beginning there was nothing. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. But it wasn't until the Spirit moved across the waters, upon the waters, and God said, hey, let there be light, and there was light. And let there be heaven and earth and created all these things. That was the groundwork. But then in verse 2, he talks about making man. He talks with the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. Let's make man in our image. And that was the decoration part. So there was a reason for that. He wanted us to be his image. But he doesn't want us to try to take over that place. I remember when I was smaller. I should say younger because some of y'all know me. No, it's been a while since I've been smaller. Anyway, um, when I was younger, I used to ask my mom because my mom is four foot ten and a half, and she holds on to that half inch like it's life itself. And I used to ask her, Mom, when I get taller than you, can I tell you what to do? And she said, no, son, when you get older than me, you can tell me what to do. I said, okay. That, that was good for me. I didn't understand. I will never be older and wiser than my mother. And my father, they came before me. They instilled what they know into me. They gave me the basis of my intellect. They gave me the basis to my wisdom. I will never outgrow them. Now, there will be some things that I may excel at that maybe they didn't do such a good job at. But as far as what they have compared to what I have, you will never find me disrespecting my parents, even to this day. No matter what, I won't disrespect them because they are my parents. They gave me life. They were vessels used by God to bring me into this world, 
and raise me up to what I think is a human, a decent human being. Um, and so they they deserve that respect, but that glory, that all goes to God. That all goes to God. And so here in Isaiah, he's just telling his people, look, I want to do all this stuff for you. I want to free the prisoners. I want to set the captives free. I want to do all these things. But first of all, you have to understand, it's not about you. It's about me. We all know that the the journey that the Israelites took in the wilderness was like a three, maybe I think a three three month walk, maybe. They spent forty years in the wilderness because they wanted the glory. God didn't get the glory from them. He had to weed them out so that they could understand. Okay, God, this is all you. So right. that part in Isaiah that, that's that's huge. That God will not share His glory. So we have to be careful when things happen. Um, you know, somebody might come to you and say, hey, man, that was a powerful message. Hey, that glory doesn't go to me. That's all God. Hey, that was an awesome song. That glory doesn't go to me. That was all God. Praise God for that. Because it's not about us. We and our own abilities, we can't wake ourselves up in the morning. We can't conjure up breath. You know, it's like um, the scientists came to God and said, hey, I can do whatever you do. I can create, man. God said, okay, go ahead and create that. He said, all right, first of you get some dirt. He said, wait a second. That's my dirt. I created that. <laughs> get your Come own on. dirt. Come on. You know, we, we are never going to excel over God, so we need not try. We have to understand our place in the alignment of God and us. We worship God. If he pours out blessings on us that we can't contain. But we have to understand it is not our glory. I'll direct your attention to John chapter 11. You don't have to turn there. I just want you maybe in your own time. If you don't know the story or not familiar with it or maybe you just need a refresher of Lazarus. Um, as we all know, Jesus and Lazarus were close family friends. Um, he used to, it was not uncommon for him to go and spend a, a day at their house or spend the night at their house and eat with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They were friends. They were close friends. And so Jesus received word in John chapter 11, I believe, that Lazarus was sick. Mm. But but the Bible says he kept doing what he was doing. Now, it had to be urgent because they would not send a messenger from the place Lazarus was all the way to where Jesus was doing his work had it not been urgent. I mean, if it was a common cold, well, we'll take care of you. Chicken noodle soup, wrap you up, whatever, you're good. But this was urgent. They knew he was going to die. So they sent a messenger to Jesus. The Bible plainly says Jesus continued doing what he was doing for days. It wasn't like, all right, let me finish this, and in an hour I'll leave. Days later, he left to start heading that way. So finally he gets there, and Mary and Martha come to him and say, have you been here? He wouldn't have died. Mm. And Jesus said to Martha, this sickness is not to death. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I understand, but if you, wouldn't have been, if you would have been here, he would still be alive. We'd be talking to him right now. And she says, oh, no, no, I know we'll see him again on the resurrection. And Jesus said, wait a second. You forgot who you're talking to. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Mm-hmm. 
So what I want to point out here about this story is that Jesus was expected to show up and heal Lazarus. They expected him to. They knew what he could do. They, I don't know if y'all know uh, Kimbo Slice, street fighter. He, he passed away of a heart attack at like 46 years old or something like that. Uh, kind of a sad story. It was right after he got into professional fighting, but he used to be a backyard street fighter in Miami Dade. And uh, one of the first things I remember is I watched one of his fights, and his promoter, his friend, um, after the fight, I mean, Kimbo Slice pretty much single-handedly took care of this guy, and uh, like he needed medical attention afterwards. Um, and the guy, the promoter, was running his mouth the whole time, just hyping the whole thing up. And at the end, I'll never forget what he said. He said, I know what my dog can do. That means he's already seen him do it. He's been there before and watched him single-handedly take care of these dudes that anybody else should, you know, would tremble at. He's already seen it happen, but he knows what his guy can do. Mary and Martha, all these people, they already knew what Jesus could do. They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him set the, the captive free and deliver the demon possessed and make the blind see again and the lame walk again, all that. They know he can do it. So they expected him to do it. But Jesus just showing up and healing Lazarus before he died would not generate any glory. Instead, what it does is it sets people up for trying to take credit for themselves, and I'll, I'll explain that a little bit later. If you would, um, also just note this scripture, Judges chapter 13. This is the story of Samson. Judges chapter 13 basically gives the requirements for Samson's life, for him living the, the, the creed of a, a Nazarite, living the life and the standards of a Nazarite. He had to do certain things, and you all know, uh, you know, he couldn't drink strong drink, he couldn't cut his hair, he couldn't do all these kind of things. Um, and so the angel of the Lord told his parents that, and then he was born, and he lived that way. They made sure he kept it. But then you get to Judges chapter 16, and Samson has met Delilah, and he's fallen in love with her, and he has mm -hmm. taken his focus off of God. Come on. Onto himself. What can I get for me? What can I get for Samson? Look at all this stuff I've done. I mean, the guy killed a thousand people, a thousand enemies of Israel with the jawbone of a donkey. That's impressive. The Bible says that he went and ripped the gates off of a city and took them down the road, just stole the gates. These are not just like a chain link fence gate, but these are huge gates, city gates. He snatched them out and Took him away. So this guy had done some things, but he got his eyes, instead of being God-seeking, he now became self-seeking. He mm -hmm. thought he had it. All right, so now if you can, turn with me to James chapter 3 in the New Testament. And, and what I want us to look at here is the fact that the Word of God talks clearly in James 3 and 4 about being self-seeking as opposed to God-seeking. So James chapter 3, verse 14. 
Again, that's James chapter 3, verse 14. It says, but if ye have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So in another translation, it actually says that uh, this wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. So this doesn't just say, hey, be careful, it's a danger zone, you know, you, you might slip up and do No, it says every evil work is there. Amen. Confusion and every evil possibility is there. Right. When we become self-seeking to pat ourselves on the back or to see how, how many compliments we can get, we are in very dangerous territory. The Bible says it's a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of a living God. When we try mm-hmm. to take what is his, he doesn't take too kindly to that. He is a just God, but he is a jealous God. You've seen in the word where he says, no man can serve two masters. You either love one and hate the other or be faithful to one and absolutely despise the other. So that's James chapter 3 that talks about self-seeking and true and false wisdom. Let's go right over to James chapter 4, um, and I just want to read real quick 1 through 12. It says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Now, this is talking to us today. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? This is deep right here. He says, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, if we look at all this stuff that's happening in Charlottesville with the Antifa and all this stuff and the, um, the clash that they had with the Black Lives Matter movement and everything else, I mean, it, it's getting crazy. It's, it's been crazy, but now it's on front street. Nobody cares to hide it or to keep it quiet. It, it's just out there at this point. And the crazy thing is this. No matter where you stand on the issues, by the way, if you stand on God's side of the issues, racism, hatred, and any form of the word is absolutely wrong. There's nobody who can say, oh, yeah, well, this is, this is backed by God. These people who stand up there, these white supremacists stand up there and say, we're doing this because of God, but God says he agrees with this. No, no, no. You won't find that in Scripture. Nobody hates anybody. Hate is the furthest thing that can be away from God. But these people, it says right here, where come? Where do the wars come from and fighting among you? Mm-hmm. They come from your own lust that you wore in your members. That means you're fighting amongst yourselves for no reason. 
You are in such a battle and turmoil with yourself that you are causing wars with people around you. Mm-hmm. So many times we want to blame stress and, and stressful situations on other people. But God is saying here, you're warring in your own being, in your own members, and it is your fault that the strife is happening around you. We had a revival this week in, uh, in the city of Monroe, Georgia, and there are five different churches. One is the first uh, African Baptist church. Um, my church is Monroe Church of God. There's a, there's a praise center, a New Beginnings Baptist, and then um, Lifeway Out, uh, I'm sorry, Lighthouse Outreach Center, World Outreach Center. And we've had, we've gone to different churches every night. But the first night, Sunday night, Pastor Hardy from the Lighthouse World Outreach Center, he preached on being lukewarm. And he was talking about the reasoning why people fall away from God or don't go near God. Mm-hmm. The biggest reason ever in this whole world, not pornography, not drugs, not racism, not hatred, not murder, not uh, physical abuse or sexual abuse, anything immoral, the number one reason why people do not find a relationship with Jesus Christ is because of other Christians who claim to be Christians but live a life that is not according to God's word. Wow. So they, they live in hypocrisy. But what, what this that James said here in, in chapter 3, verse 17, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, number one, pure, undefiled, number two, peaceable, gentle, number three, and easy to be entreated. So those things are there. And then it says, full of mercy and good fruits mm-hmm. without partiality and without hypocrisy. So there are so many people who claim to be Christians but think that they don't have to live according to the word of God and they become hypocrites, in turn pushing everyone away from them. Anyone who knows that person, they even turn around to become a stumbling block. Not a beacon of light, but right, something right. of warning. So, hey, turn away. Don't, don't come down this dead-end road. And it's crazy because that is what we're dealing with in these times. But if we, if we move on here, it says, verse 5, do you think that the scripture stands in vain? The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? It's all about jealousy. Verse 6, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves. Number one, stop looking at the glory. Give that to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves. i got a shirt that says humble myself. I like it. That's right. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Amen. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? 
Now, to me, that speaks volumes. That talks about all kinds of character issues that a lot of people have that call themselves Christians. But right there, it tells us, just submit to God and understand that we are human. Humble ourselves. We're nothing. I'm absolutely nothing without Jesus Christ. And we, we, none of us are. So with that being said, Samson came to become self-seeking. Samson was out on his feet but still thought he could take him. <clears throat> I saw a fight this past weekend with a few uh, people there on this call. A Mayweather-McGregor fight. And in the 10th round, Conor McGregor was getting it handed to him. And he had his hands dropped. He was winded. I personally think he should have got a standing eight count, but he was done. He was done. The, the chances of him coming back and cleaning it up with Mayweather were slim to none. But you could not convince that man of that. He thought he still had it. Anson is laying in the lap of Delilah. Multiple times she has asked him, what's the secret of your strength? And he tells her something, and she has the Philistines come in and try it. And he wakes up and beats them all down. And then they play this game again. I'm mm-hmm. talking five or six times, seven times. Right, and right. finally, he thinks he has it, and he tells her, from my birth, a razor has not t- touched my hair. If my hair is cut, I'll be powerless. And he falls asleep on her lap. And she cuts his hair, and the Philistines come in and capture him and take him away. All because he was self-seeking. He just mm-hmm. wanted Delilah. But God had a different plan for him. That's mm-hmm. not the way God wanted it to end for him, but that's the way it happened. So now let's bring this back to Lazarus. Jesus showing up as expected and healing Lazarus before he died would have generated no glory. But instead, it would have set people up for trying to take credit. I told you, I told you, just just get Jesus here. I don't know why y'all been worrying. I told you he was just sick and wasn't going to die. But y'all had y'all to worry and everything else. I'm the one that went and sent for Jesus. I'm the one that went and told Jesus. There are so many areas that we can try to steal glory from God. But Jesus didn't show up until Lazarus was dead for four days. The importance of that is the custom at the time in Israel was the belief was for three days they weren't embalmed or anything like that because they thought that the spirit could enter back into them and they could come back. So Jesus purposely waited four days after he was dead. The Bible says he stinks at this point. He's decomposing wrapped in his dead clothes, his death clothes. And Jesus comes to him and says, Lazarus, come forth. First of all, roll away the stone. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's been here four days. You showed up to the party late. Roll the stone away. Roll the stone away, Lazarus, come forth. And then the Bible says he came forth, and Jesus commanded people to go and loose him so that he could be free. Had Jesus not waited until four days after the man died, Mm. he would not have gotten the glory. But see, when Jesus does something for us, when God moves in our lives, he does it so that we are not in a position 
to have our own horn to do. We can't blow our own horn and be our own cheerleader and say, look what I did, look what I did. Oh, yes. You know, we get up like the Pharisees and Sadducees and the, the rich young ruler. I've kept all of these for my youth. Okay, well, go sell everything you got and get to the poor. And you walk away with your head going. Because why? He wanted that glory. I've done this. Look what I've done. Look at my notable achievements for which I deserve higher renown or honor, which I have won by doing these notable achievements. And God says, you don't have a clue about the kingdom of heaven. Wow. So what I urge everyone listening to this call tonight to do is to search ourselves. The Bible says that pride goes before a fall. When we are thinking that we are, like the Bible says, thinking more highly of themselves than they should, when we think that we are higher than we really truly are, we're setting ourselves up for a fall. But if we walk in humility, as James told us here, submit to God, resist the devil and temptation, he will flee from us. And if we draw nigh to God, God will draw nigh unto us. And the Bible says that if Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all men unto you. What does that mean? God will make you popular if you point the glory to him. Amen. Again, that doesn't mean that you're just going to be somebody who everybody's like, hey, pat you on the back. But what it does mean is that you don't have to worry about attracting people. When you push God into the forefront, he does the attracting all by himself. So this season, we're talking about glory. Understand that it is God's glory and that when he does a thing, it might look like there's absolutely no way out, but that's by design. When we finally say, God, I quit, I don't know what else to do, then he says, it's about time. Now Mm -hmm. watch me work. Watch me come in and fix this because you are going to give me glory. So my prayer is that we all take a look at ourselves, step back, And say, God, I don't want the glory. I want you to have the glory because it is his. He deserves it from all that he has done. He loved us and saved us, gave us life. So if you're on this call tonight and you are not saved, now is the time to do it. And it can be a glorious thing, but it's not going to be glory for you. It's going to be glory for Jesus Christ. So if you believe, that Jesus Christ is the son of the, of the living God, that he is God, that he was born of a virgin birth, mm-hmm. that he died on the cross, rose three days later and ascended into heaven, sits now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And you believe that in your heart and you confess it with your mouth. The Bible says you will be saved and God will come in and help you through your junk help you through the mess that you've accumulated, that you think, I don't know how to get through it. God knows how to get through it. Amen. The difference between someone who is an unbeliever and a believer, there is no reinforcement like the reinforcement of the Spirit of God. So I urge you today, if, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, make that decision today before it's too late. And know that he wants the glory, but the blessings that he will give us can't be measured by means on this earth. Thank you all for listening. I love you all. Pray for you all. And uh, y'all keep praying for me.
for the rock. Amen. Amen.